Well, good morning. So I was just talking to someone this morning. This is our 10th, my 10th Easter sermon. Um, and we were talking about the first one. And so the first time I preached Easter, like we blew it out. We had a ton of people, uh, like 30. That was a huge Sunday for us. And so things have shifted a little bit. It's awesome. Love having you. Lots of family, friends, got baptisms today. So great to be here. And it's, it's that time of year again where so many of us are filling up these colored plastic eggs with all sorts of goodness, and we send our kids out to scurry through the yard, looking in trees and on fences and under rocks, frantically hunting for hidden treasure. Right, kids, have you already done that? Yeah? All right. My kids have too, right? No judgment here. Uh, I really don't have any idea what that has to do with the resurrection of Jesus. If, if you know, please enlighten me. But I know that the kids love it. And strange as it is, it's an oddly fitting picture of our lives in this world. We are all treasure hunters. Our thirsty souls rummage through every nook and cranny of this world looking for shiny pleasures and satisfying joys. We are all on a constant pursuit of joy. And I know the word joy is kind of like the word love. It has a broad spectrum of definitions depending on who's using the word. But when I say joy, I think when the Bible talks about joy, it is this deep, satisfying fulfillment of our deepest desires. Because we all desire love and acceptance, meaning and purpose and security. And when we experience these things, when we're in a place where these needs are deeply fulfilled, we experience joy. And so our pursuit of joy is not a bad thing. God actually created us to pursue joy and ultimately to find it in him as we walk in obedience to him. He gave us his word and he said, this is how I created you to live. This is how I designed you to find joy. He didn't put parameters around us and around our lives and tell us how to live to restrain us, but rather to lead us to the fulfillment and the joy we desire most. But sin distorts. Sin corrupts the human heart. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Sin leads us into a distorted view of this world so that we look at the good gifts of God and we see them as ultimate things. We worship and we pursue lesser things, trying to find hope and joy in created things rather than the creator himself. And like Jonah, we stop listening to who God says we are we stop listening to his purpose that he proclaimed over us, and we try and find an identity and meaning apart from him. And this is why God sent his son Jesus, to free us from the bondage of the flesh and the impossibility of finding true joy in this world apart from him, because we are all seeking joy. But where we seek it makes all the difference. The world will dangle shiny promises of hope and counterfeit joys. 
but these things can never satisfy. We will consume and consume and yet remain empty, still longing for a satisfaction that cannot be found in created things. This is why Jesus came. We need the gospel every day. As we so often talk about here, what, what God is doing in the world, the kingdom he is building is opposite in every way to the kingdom of this world. In fact, scripture says it's foolishness to the world. And the resurrection of Jesus is no different. It is foolishness to the world. But for us, it is victory and life. And so this morning, I want to talk about a particular kind of joy. It's really the root and the, the catalyst of all of our joy. I want to talk about resurrection joy. Because in our treasure seeking, we must pay attention. We need to slow down, lest we miss the significance of the resurrection and scamper past the greatest joy in the universe because our eyes are fixed on lesser treasures. Or we're trying to cram as many little plastic eggs into our basket of life. So that's where we're going this Easter morning. And, and I love Easter Sunday. The room is always full, even if the room used to be smaller. There is an energy. We have family members and friends and visitors joining in on worship. It is a time to reflect on the significance and celebrate the significance of the resurrection. But the resurrection is not something that we only celebrate once every spring. We preach and we proclaim the resurrection of Jesus every Sunday. The resurrection is the power and the joy and the promise of everything Christ came for. The resurrection is the victory over sin and death. So that we, though still burdened by sin, are no longer fighting for victory, but from victory through Jesus Christ. Even when the world is in chaos, even when viruses mess up our lives, when we struggle and suffer in this life, the resurrection is a tremendous source of joy for all who believe. And the reason I say this is because the resurrection was a tremendous source of joy for Jesus. And it was a joy that he proclaimed to his disciples. In the days leading up to the crucifixion of Jesus, he told his disciples in John 16, a little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you'll see me again. And not a big surprise, they didn't have a clue what he was talking about, right? Jesus says lots of stuff, and the disciples were like, huh? They didn't get it. They were confused. They were questioning, questioning among themselves, like, what on earth is Jesus talking about? And Jesus knew. And so in verse 19, we read, Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while, and you will see me? And again, a little while, and you will not see me? Okay, I messed it up. A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. 
But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. You see, Jesus here was preparing the disciples for what was coming. They were about to watch their friend, their teacher, their Lord be crucified. He knew it was going to be horrible. He knew they wouldn't understand. But Jesus is saying, wait for it. Watch intently. Don't lose hope. The joy is coming. You will be sorrowful, Jesus says, but your sorrow will turn to joy. And Jesus relates what they're talking, this experience, what he's talking about to a woman giving birth. When the time comes, there is sorrow. The process is hard and painful, but when she has delivered the baby, Jesus says, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. It's painful in the moment, but seeing life brought into the world is worth it. He tells them, look, just like a woman going into labor, you will have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And when I see you again, your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. No one can take it from you. This isn't just a new experience of joy that Jesus is promising. It is a new kind of joy altogether. It is resurrection joy, an immutable, irrevocable joy sealed by the Holy Spirit through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus sealed for us in unshakable joy. A joy that nothing in the heavens nor on earth, not even death itself, can steal away. Jesus came for joy. He suffered and struggled and laid his life down for joy. And even as he faced the horror of Good Friday, his mind and his heart were fixed on joy. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we read, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. It says, run with endurance, battle sin. And then it says, why? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. He knew what was coming. He would face denial, betrayal, beatings, nails, spears, and God's face turning from him. But he could not stop thinking about joy. Joy would keep him going. 
Joy was on his mind and his tongue. And it was joy that was drawing him not away from suffering, but into it. He suffered for our joy. Jesus went to the cross for joy, to purchase it, to create it, to offer joy to all who would believe in him. As this angry mom, mom, angry mom, angry mob, sorry moms, as the angry mob shouted, his blood be on us and on our children, as they killed the author of life, Jesus is saying, yes, my blood be on them and on their children, purchasing joy and life and freedom. And it is an inextinguishable joy. And if killing the author of life couldn't extinguish this joy that Jesus speaks of, then nothing can and nothing ever will. No opposition from the world, no opposition to the gospel, no sin-minimizing cultural shifts will overcome the resurrection joy of Jesus. So when we read this story of Holy Week, these days leading up to Jesus' crucifixion, it is clear that the unshakable joy of Easter was birthed, birthed out of the greatest trauma and tragedy and evil the world has ever unleashed, the murder of the Son of God. Death, the devil, and the coordinated rebellion of mankind all together could not smite this joy. Persecutors and hecklers can't steal away this joy. No power, no event, no enemy can squelch the resurrection joy of Jesus Christ that bursts out of the tomb with him. Worldly joys, on the other hand, they're fragile. They're fleeting in comparison to this joy. Sickness and poverty crumble temporary joys and temporal joys. And the long process of aging and dying slowly strips life of all of its worldly pleasures. Death brings all of our joys to a screeching halt, except one. Only one joy cannot be thwarted by death. Because only one joy was purchased by blood. The resurrection joy of Jesus escapes the clutches of death because Jesus conquered death. This is the joy of the new creation, a joy unchained from the evil of this fallen world. And this makes Easter like nothing else. As Jonathan Edwards declared, the resurrection of Christ is the most joyful event that ever came to pass. And Charles Spurgeon said, no man shall ever take from me the joy that Christ rose from the dead. The resurrection is the most joy-filled and glorious event in history. It is worthy of our awe and wonder, but it's not just an amazing historical spectacle. Jesus used human birth as an analogy to introduce the birth of a new kingdom. His death was the birth pangs of a new creation. His resurrection was the arrival of a new kingdom. 
in his resurrection, Jesus set in motion an unstoppable chain reaction that will one day culminate in the resurrection of the dead and the restoration of all creation. After generations of unsatisfied appetites and hunger in the hearts of men and women and children, the resurrection of Christ marks a new era, a new hope, a new joy. And in John 15, 11, Jesus offered his disciples full joy. Not just a new experience of joy, but a new kind of joy. A joy that satisfies fully. Like Jesus, we are to set our hearts and our minds on the future joy that is ours in Christ. To thirst for this new post-resurrection joy. A long-awaited, long-anticipated joy. The unconquerable joy of the risen Christ. The Old Testament foretold of it. The birth of Jesus announced it. Holy Week seemed to extinguish this joy, but in the resurrection of Christ, we see the sovereign glory of God shining in the triumph of eternal joy. So here's the thing. Because of the triumphant resurrection of Jesus, this history-defining moment, this joy is available to us. It is for us. As we read in John 16, as Jesus prepared his disciples for what was to come, he told them about this joy. He taught them to ask and seek for more of this joy. He says, until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Ask, and you will receive. They're simple words, right? Just ask. And yet, the very act of asking is a proclamation of our weakness and insufficiency to find or produce this joy in and of ourselves. Because oftentimes when I'm faced with challenges or struggles or hard decisions, the first inclination of my flesh is not to ask, right? It's not humility. It's fix it. Time to work. Time to solve the problem. I got this. And in those moments, I am failing to embrace the gospel, to embrace my insufficiency and need for God, need for grace. And so there is this daily repentance, a daily turning from my prideful flesh and sin and looking to all that Christ has accomplished and promised and invited me into. Because even when we try with all our feeble power to hold things together or chase after fleeting joys, our loving Father is patiently watching and waiting. Like a dad watching their four-year-old try and lug a 50-pound suitcase up a flight of stairs, right? Straining with all their might to get that first step without paying attention to the other 20 that we'd have to face even if they made it up that one. And the father says, you haven't asked. It's that simple. Ask and you will receive. But we've, we've all seen our kids' response, right? I can do it. I've got this. 
And that's often how we approach God. He's like, you haven't asked because I got this. I can do it. He's like, did you see the rest of the stairs? Right. You're struggling on number one. God is inviting us into his loving presence, saying stop trying to bear the weight of the world and control everything in your life and look at me. Humble yourself before me. Admit your weakness and see my power perfected in you. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. And we're not talking about asking for temporal shallow comforts of this world, right? We're not chasing Easter eggs. We're talking about the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of all who believe. And Jesus had told the, the disciples this very thing. He told them that he must die and go to the Father, and he told them that he would leave his joy with them. And once he ascended into heaven and was with the Father, that's exactly what he did. Jesus poured out his spirit at Pentecost to dwell in the hearts of all who believe. And this is the promised joy. For the first time at Pentecost, united with Christ, the disciples would pray by the Spirit to the Father through the Son. For the first time, they would see supernatural unity. They would experience being unified with God and with one another through the indwelling spirit. And this is, was the resurrection promise of Jesus. They are now one united people through the Holy Spirit. See, the resurrection reshapes everything. It reshapes our prayers. It reshapes our spiritual life. It reshapes our joy. We now have access to the holy places through the blood of Jesus. We can now come confidently into the presence of God. And his spirit confirms and reminds us of all the promises that are ours in Jesus. And this is our ultimate source of joy. No matter what we face in this life, no matter what we suffer or what is taken from us, nothing can pull us from the loving arms of our Father. Jesus, at this very moment, is at the right hand of God, interceding for us. This is what we read in Hebrews 7.25. Consequently, he, that is Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost. <laughs> the depth of his salvation to the uttermost. No one is unreachable. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. It's awesome. This bold resurrection joy that Jesus promised to the disciples is available to us. It's been offered to you and me. We're promised the same joy that Peter talks about, a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. And so what I hope you know this morning is that the resurrection joy that Jesus foretold has arrived, and it is for you. As Jesus says in John 15, 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. 
Christ's resurrection not only gives you hope for the future, there is a fullness of joy available in Jesus right now. It is a hope to handle the scars we carry right now, the pain and struggles we face right now. This restoring joy was purchased for you and for me in Christ. And it was confirmed and sealed in the resurrection. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So let me close with this. If Christ is still dead, if he were just a good man and was still sitting in a grave, death would have won and our joy would be in vain. So hoard all the plastic Easter eggs you can get because that's as good as it's going to be. Or in Paul's words, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And if Christ has been raised, then we will be raised with him also. So let us feast and let us celebrate because inextinguishable eternal joy has broken into the darkness, offering life and fullness in Christ that cannot fade or rust or be stolen. Let us delight in the resurrection joy of Christ this morning and pray that we would experience it more and more with every passing day to the praise of his glorious grace. Let's pray together. Father God, this is our prayer. That we would experience the fullness of joy promised through the triumphant resurrection of Jesus. God, that we would not settle for lesser claims of joy but would look to Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross God give us a supernatural endurance and long suffering as we await the glorious return of Jesus when our joy will be perfected and help us to experience the promised joy right now even in the midst of struggle and pain and heartache, let us experience the joy of your presence. God, we come and ask these things because Jesus said, ask and you will receive.